Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Kelly Reichardt showing up. Joining me today, taking a break from nursing his pigeon back to health, it's Ben Lubin. Ben, how's it going? Uh, well, I just got the pigeon to go to sleep, so uh, let's let I have some time. Let's talk about the movie. <laughs> there you go. Hopefully, hopefully, you don't have a pet cat running around the house too. That that, that could be that could be particularly hazardous. Well, I had two pet pigeon, but uh, I had two pigeons, and now I only have one, so I guess the cat's full. All right, let's not talk about what you did with the first one because you know, uh, I mean, hopefully, you hopefully you're better to it than uh, Michelle Williams' character was in showing up. Um, uh, showing up is that, as I said before, it's the newest film from writer director Kelly Reichardt in her first film since 2020's First Cow, which I believe might have been the last film you saw prior to the pandemic, right, Ben? And um, no, not quite. I think it was, I saw like a couple more after it, mm. but it was like pretty close to the end. Or maybe never, rarely, sometimes always was. I remember we did both of those, but like one of them, it just took me a long time to see. I feel like we might have no, like, so, okay no i remember i saw yeah? first cow then i saw uh corpus christi mm. and then i saw a revival of this older movie and that but it, it, and then uh nothing for a long time so my, my last one before that, that was this one where it's like i like first cow like i think COVID hit like the first weekend it got its limited release and i think you made yeah. sure you made it to it and then we like, we just didn't end up doing a, a a podcast for months until we did one along with the very thematically relevant bill and ted face to music i just i i remember like thinking we were going to do it soon and then it just like COVID took over and it, so it obviously never got to other theaters outside in new york or la, or LA unfortunately and um but and but my i i vividly remember that my last trip to the theater before COVID was to see uh the hunt so uh that oh, was i just, thought it was bloodshot no, for me it was hunt, the hunt, okay. uh, which so I did. I remember I talked to someone whose last movie in theaters before lockdown was Bloodshot. It may, okay, it may have been our friend Elijah actually. But... Mm, yeah, so okay. the hunt was one I did not enjoy. So that was like kind of a bittersweet way to like you know then take eleven have to take eleven months off from being in a theater after after that one did not go out on a did not go out on a high note. But like first cow would have been a much better one because that was in my uh, that was in my top five of twenty twenty if I remember correctly. Uh, that was my top one of, of its year. So oh, I did not know that. Interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, showing up is the uh, is like I said, Kelly record back back doing her thing for the first time uh since first cow it marks her fourth collaboration uh with michelle williams who stars as lizzie uh ceramics artist in portland uh lizzie as we kind of meet her in the movie she has an uh, has a show coming up she makes like little ceramic dolls uh she has plenty of other things going on in her life though that are making it hard to uh get get just get to her show accomplishing everything she wants to including kind of an ongoing petty conflict with joe a fellow artist who also happens to be her landlord, played by Hong Chao. She has a brother, played by John Magara, who was the star of First Cow, who is uh, struggling with his mental health, and she's trying to help with that, while also kind of navigating her own frustrations with her parents and the art school she works at part-time and all the things that are just going on around her. Uh, and we we get to just kind of get immersed in this world of like the, the this particular sect of this artistic community in Portland, but we're mostly uh, following Lizzie around as she is encountering all of these different things things in her life uh ben you know i i i'm curious because i i often make the point on the podcast that like you know just because uh a movie's relatable doesn't mean it's good because i because i oftentimes like you know i feel the need to make that qualifier if i see a movie that i feel like i can relate to in a lot of ways for some reason and it's really good i'm like i gotta be like look that's not the not it's not the only reason why it's good uh so i know that you probably would have liked this movie regardless of like what your career was uh but i'm curious how much of your appreciation for showing up do you think was enhanced by the fact that you are a creative person who spends a lot of time having to focus on your work in solitude? Um, so look, I, I, I am a noted Kelly Reichardt stan. Um, she can do no wrong, mm -hmm. but 
I, I I do think that like the honesty of the way it kind of portrays the creative process, but also just kind of a life where the creative process is kind of part of your day to day, but there it kind of intersects with the everything else. Mm. Um, and I think there is something about the way that movie depicts the kind of intersection of just the quotidian reality of just making art with just kind of the having to kind of have a life outside of that mm-hmm. I, I i think there is something really beautiful about the way the movie captures that and, and i think the fact that it is so low stakes about it like there's no question of sh- like no character is on the verge of suddenly making millions of dollars no character is on the verge of going down in history e- even uh hong chow's character's kind of breakout is it a it's a distinctly low stakes breakout it's incredibly local it's incredibly incredibly specific there is no like she has two shows while lizzie has one yeah. so no no one is about to kind of have their uh their exhibit in the guggenheim <laughs> um it it feels low stakes in a way that i think lets you focus in on just the human element of it mm-hmm. and and i think it's very easy to forget that uh, a lot of depictions of art and artists and people who make art in films there is an attempt to kind of portray just the, that process as almost grandiose yeah you and i have been tracking this one for a little while and yeah. i i think i remember the first press release when it came out and i think it, it, it pretty much kept the same log line on uh on like imdb like throughout the whole thing and like it says or like at least the premise as i see the line right now an artist on the verge of a career changing exhibition finds inspiration in the chaos of life which is that is such a <laughs> interesting way of <laughs> that, that, um, that, is, that 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 is what it said and i i don't, I don't know yeah. why i would have assumed that but like i feel like when it came out i was like oh we're gonna like be like watching like this like really really like high-end artist that michelle williams is portraying i think that's what i got in my head from the start which doesn't make any sense for me to have assumed that given that this is a kelly reichardt movie i don't know if we, why we would ever expect her to like you know focus on some like really really uh like upper society artists in new york city or something that's where my mind went initially but no we're in portland it's a kelly record movie of course we are and yeah we uh, can save that for uh noah bombbox movie about the subject uh, oh for sure yeah. yeah that's all of his movies uh yeah. I, I love him but that's it, it is like, except, except for barbie yeah, yeah yeah but uh but then i think like i, I think one of the things i thought was cool is that like when you think of well, there are i think you can think of plenty of movies i guess about like struggling writers and stuff like that but like for the most part you know when you think of like movies about artists, they're like people that are working on like a, such a larger scale. And I don't know how many of them are like, I, I, I can't ever remember seeing one about like that just gets into the day to day of someone that is like just getting by. You know, I think that's yeah. like very well, also, interesting. Even a lot of those movies about struggling writers and struggling artists, it, it's sort of about getting to the point where you are making it. Or you've already right. had some great success and you can't figure out, figure out where you're going to get back to that or something like that. Yeah. And, and I think I, I love the fact that that isn't really even a question for the movie. It's not even. It, it's just not even a factor it, it and i think there there is and it, it can be really hard as someone just not even talking about just as someone who likes to think of himself as a creative person as someone who wants to make art for the sake of making art mm-hmm. it it can be hard to separate that desire from everything else from the reality of making art in a way that lets you make more in a way in a, in the question of making art in a way that allows you to make a living from that art. There's so many other kind of very obvious and very real questions that get involved. And sometimes people can, and th- th- this is a, it's an understandable thing, but it's a very real thing. You can kind of lose sight of the piece of it that matters to you. 
Um, I was actually talking with uh, uh, good. I'm I'm gonna give this a plug later, but uh, I was talking to a writer on the picket line today for the uh, WGA strike. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were talking about uh, like what his advice is for people who are trying to break in. Um, this is an established comedy writer who's uh, been it basically has been a TV writer for 25 years. And the thing he said that he felt is the advice that people don't give is that inscrutable idiosyncratic piece of yourself that is maybe a little strange, maybe a little off that writes things that are not because this is what the, you think the producers are going to want because it's the thing that you feel like you are compelled to write. Just don't lose track of that because that is the only piece of you that separates you from everyone else. Um, and when you were trying to make it, when you're trying to kind of sell yourself as an artist, it, there's the, it, you're going to feel pressured to push that part of yourself to the side, but long-term you need to hold on to it. So in watching showing up then did something, did, well, not that you had that conversation after you saw this movie, but I'm wondering, yeah. thinking about showing up, did then something resonate with you about seeing this character, Lizzie, uh, like being so steadfast and like focusing on this one particular thing that it's just hers. It's like made clear like yeah, maybe no. she's not successful, but like she has her one thing that's her thing. And she, and in and it kind of, it's made clear, I guess a little bit in the, and kind of a, somewhat in the montage that opens the movie, you see, I guess you're, you're seeing a lot of her art and like she sticks to what she does, even if it doesn't really make her rich, like she focuses on like her one thing, no matter how mundane it may seem, she, she stays at it. Uh, even though, like you said, life sometimes gets in the way of that. Yeah. Well, yes. And I think that actually kind of brings me to a lot of, to something that I think makes the movie itself very special. Mm -hmm. um, so something I mentioned to you uh, before we actually started recording is there, there is sort of this distinction in critical circles between uh, what is labeled as white elephant art and what is labeled as termite art. Um, mm. it's, it's, a, it's a distinction that is coined by a very famous now, I believe, dead critic named Manny Farber, um, who is kind of considered like one of the great uh film and art critics of the kind of mid to late 20th century hmm. and kind of the idea is white elephant art is something that is on display uh it is sort of the thing itself the thing like it is meant to be something very specific almost to be displayed and deciphered in a very one-to-one -one way and the obvious association is something like kind of what people would think of as high art not that all high art is white elephant art, but it's, that's sort of kind of the obvious point. But it applies just as much to that as it applies to movie that is derived by formula. Um, or where the movie's point is, a, is such a specific message that is basically just there to teach that specific point. And, and that's kind of what the movie is there for, that it kind of loses the kind of the texture around that. And the idea of termite art is termite termites are something that kind of burrow into a small space and kind of map out their own invisible, inscrutable tunnels in this kind of small and mundane place. And in kind of that presence can lead to something almost more textured and more grounded. And it's not that I, I think there's a tendency for people who interpret Farber's writing to say one is good, one is bad. And I think that's kind of the lazy interpretation of his work. But I do think it's fair to say that especially in kind of more studio, modern studio filmmaking, there is kind of a devaluing of termite art. I think it's really rare to see 
a bigger, more kind of breakout movie that really embraces that aspect of what it is to make art. Um, I actually think a really good recent example uh, is Licorice Pizza, mm. which is a movie that as big and kind of splashy and breakout as it was, is very much just about this almost aimless presence. Um, it's these characters in this world and it's kind of all of the textures around them that it, it's not that Paul Thomas Anderson is trying to show us something specific about these ideas that he's working with. It's just, he kind of naturally finds his way through them and around them by just kind of being present in this artistic place. And I think showing up in appropriately enough in centering itself around an artist who makes this kind of almost small and meaningless termite art that is important for being as small and meaningless as it is, is a movie that allows itself that same kind of beautiful presence. Like, I think one of the things I love about this movie there's no bottom to it. You never, it's not a movie that you solve. And I think that's true about, a, it, it's something that's true about a lot of Kelly Reichardt movies. You're, you're never going to kind of unlock everything about it because none of her movies are a puzzle to be solved. Well, I want to circle back to that point with you in a little bit about, um, with, with respect to the very final shot of the movie, basically. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious, you know, everything you're saying it accomplished uh, with respect to putting this, like you said, particular kind of termite art on display and and like it was funny as you were describing what licorice pizza did i think it's it's a i think it's a pretty good uh i think it's not it's it wouldn't be inaccurate to kind of describe this movie in the same way and that it's just hanging out in this world but i'm curious for the ways it's sounding like you appreciated this how do you feel about those that are kind of like i, I think it's indisputable it has a different tone than like most of our other movies but i'm curious how do you feel about those that are like are describing this as a comedy first and foremost does it did it strike you that way or were you oh, not were you not appreciating it that way as you watched it so I think I've I've talked before on the podcast. Mm -hmm. I am not a huge fan of genre, or, or at least kind of the way we tend to categorize things based on genre. Mm -hmm. I think it can be genre can be an interesting thing to play with, mm -hmm. but I think in interpreting films and interpreting art, and even people who write and try to make films, there can be a tendency to be so trapped in the idea of what this is supposed to be based on the genre it is that you don't let the thing actually be what it needs to be. And I think for me, a lot of the best films blend genre. Like, yes, you could very easily categorize this as a comedy. Let me ask, did it make you, did it make you laugh? Yeah, it actually did. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, so I, feel like, I feel like you and I don't talk about a lot of comedy. So I was kind of curious. No, and they're, 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 like there are some moments of like, actually, I don't really talk with them that many people about comedies at all. It feels like, cause it's hard. It's hard to talk about comedy, but I, I was genuinely curious. Cause I, you could probably count on one hand, how many laughs the rest of her movies have combined, you know? Yeah. No, it's funny. I was actually talking to someone, someone else today about uh, showing up just cause I knew I was going to be talking about it later. Mm -hmm. And he, this is someone actually who went to Bard and uh, <laughs> where, where Kelly Ricard taught. Did he take her class? Yes. Oh, cool. And I, I say this with respect to this person who's actually like an old friend. Mm -hmm. um, Kelly Ricard's movies are not his thing. Mm -hmm. Like that type of filmmaking, it's not what he loves. But I, I was actually telling him, you know, I think First Cow is the, the one of her movies you might actually really dig just because of how kind of funny it is 
so that god that is a movie i am still really upset didn't kind of have more of like a breakout moment than it did yeah i'd be um, very curious to see how it would have like what kind of legs it would have had if it didn't have the unfortunate uh you know timing of getting released when it did yeah because i i really do think that like that is probably the movie that i think is the most not just accessible but embraceable mm. um that she's done i would agree and though i, think... I, I the, the, the stuff i remember about that movie and I, I i feel like i actually do remember maybe i was talking about some of the funnier moments in it but they don't they're not what stands out to me about it like i just remember some of the the, the heavier shit and just the and just how those biscuits looked but uh... <laughs> it's all there though that's, yeah that's kind of the point mm-hmm. um and and that that sort of gets back to what i was talking about with genre mm-hmm. one of the the cool things about kelly rickard's movies even when they have a defined genre they're not limited by that genre and there's they are kind of free to kind of move through all of these different modes of what a film can be first cow is a movie that it's a hangout movie it's a slice of life it's a drama it's a comedy it's a heist movie it's an asmr baking video <laughs> it's it's kind of all of these different things and it 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 doesn't feel like it's a bunch of different ill-fitting things shoved together it's just naturally able to be all of this at once because that's what the movie is. And I think showing up, if you're going to call it anything, yeah, you can probably call it a comedy. But this is, at its core, a really profound character study that dives deep into the internal life of a person who is not happy. Yeah, in and in a really different type of character study in so much as like, as we could say, like Lizzie keeps running into these different things that make her life harder throughout. And it's like, you know, she's taking on all these different, uh, whether it be uh, slights or, uh, you know, affronts or she's just kind of like taking, taking up, all, letting all these resentments build up, but like not, but it, you know, you kind of, you kind of understand because you're watching a Kelly Reichardt movie. It's not the kind of thing that's just going to like blow up or something like that. Like this is just, this is just how this person gets through the world. And she takes this stuff on the chin in a way where, like, in a lot of other movies, you would you would expect that character to, like, you know, just all of a sudden blow up on someone. At the some emotional point. climax of yeah, and and like yeah. the and, and the only thing that even remo- remotely comes close to that here is like an angry voicemail, uh, and and yeah. like and that where she doesn't even raise her voice that much, but like is is pissed off, and like that is it, and it's just like all right, this we're, we are here with this person, and this is how she gets through life, even though like she kind of feels like she kind of feels like a, a lot of different affronts and a lot of different uh, grievances throughout the th- throughout her day to day that, and she just kind of like silently like you know takes it on the chin and keeps going. Yeah, no, I I think I I think it, it it's interesting. I think Michelle Williams is a. Um, Michelle Williams Lizzie is a really interesting character to center this on, especially because I don't think we're ever forced to feel like she's fully in the right. And she's not fully in the wrong either. But that's kind of the whole point. Like, not like there there's sort of this dynamic in the movie between her and Joe. Mm-hmm. But it's not a dynamic that forces us to side with either one of them. They they're both complex humans who in different ways at different moments can be kind of assholes neither one of them it's it's not good versus bad and and i think especially because the movie lets us both understand the other characters in lizzie's world and understand how she views them yeah and and also because because everything is from lizzie's perspective like for the most part like we don't really know what's going on in Joe's mind in such a way where it's like that yeah. could just be the way she is and it could just come across to Lizzie that way. That doesn't mean Joe's like a good person for it, but it's like she's like going to let it build up in her mind that like she thinks that maybe like Joe might just be like 
you know, like antagonistic towards her where it might just be that like Joe is just like so much caught up in her own stuff that she's not going to pay attention to Lizzie in the way she wants, wants to pay attention to her. Or, you know, Lizzie might think it's like really like performative what she does with the pigeon. Whereas that might just be the way she is. It's like, you know, she's like, might just be building this up in some way. Joe might go through life in the way that Lizzie wishes she could. And with that kind of like confidence and carefreeness and whatnot. And it's just like, we're all led to like, kind of see how Lizzie kind of like builds it, builds it up. And it's at the, at the same time, like, yeah, I mean, we would be pissed too if we like our landlord didn't fix our hot water but at the same time like we we can kind of see that she's like you know at the same time m- m- probably not going about everything the right way and especially well, with and also that uh, a lot of the resentment that lily has for specific things is more of a general resentment that she's kind of letting manifest through a specific moment mm-hmm. and actually i kind of want to take that as an excuse to uh just rave about michelle williams for a little bit mm-hmm. um I think we we have both talked about her before, and she she is one of I think our best working actresses who I wish kind of got more chances to really show how good she is. What do you mean we both saw Venom with every? No, no, that's one of those chances. I <laughs> get uh, like she, she every award in the world for Venom too. Uh, tour de force performance. Okay, you want to talk about comedy? Michelle Williams. In yeah, well, who, of, who, what, what am I talking about that we've never talked about a comedy? We talked about one of the best ones of 2021. <laughs> uh, the best comic book movie of 2021, too. Oh, I stand by that. No, no, yeah, I stand by that. I, I honestly, I, I, I'm trying to remember what else came out that year besides like the like Black Widow, Shang Chi. That was um, that was uh, Shang Chi and the Suicide Squad. Okay, and I think there, there are some there are some decent ones, but like I'm not going to fight you too hard on it. Yeah, but yeah, but I think Michelle Williams is kind of one of our our best working actresses, and I do think. Look, as as much as I love Venom 2, and I love Venom 2, I do think it is Kelly Reichardt who gets the most out of her. And also in such a surprising way, in that like, yeah. and I heard someone make this point earlier, and I wish I could claim it for my own, like, it, it's got to be really hard to like, you know, to like, do a performance like that where it's like so understated that it you you wouldn't you wouldn't even know the person's really acting that hard like it's like i feel like it's probably a really high degree of difficulty to like so like make 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 a character like that's so like low-key like that feel that just feel that natural you know oh absolutely no there is such a a strong again and this this goes back to what the movie is as a whole mm-hmm. but there is such a strong sense of presence mm-hmm. it kind of and and from a performance standpoint there's nowhere to hide this is not a movie with the type with uh quick cuts this is not a movie about communicating something about a character broadly for a a moment and then cut and then you communicate something else in a different shot in a different moment and then cut the movie lingers in a way that it it kind of forces and this is true about a lot of kelly Reichardt movies but there is just nowhere to hide and she's in she's in like all but like maybe a couple scenes right if yeah that, and yeah. we are really just kind of seeing this character in such a full and fleshed out and lived in way i mean un- unsurprisingly this is probably my favorite performance of the year so far um and this spoiler this is my favorite movie of the year so far mm-hmm. but i i think it, this is it's a really incredible performance but it's the type of really unassuming performance that unless you really know what you're looking at it's hard to recognize just how special it is. And I actually think the rest of the cast is just as fantastic. Like I, I've always thought Hong Chao is a really talented actress who doesn't always get roles that best showcase her abilities. Um, She's she, like, 
she has been the best part of movies I did not particularly like many times. Did you see The Whale? I did not particularly love The Whale. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't hate it as much as some people do, but not my favorite. I thought she was very good in it, but I think this performance uh, in, in showing up, it felt a very kind of against type from what I've seen by her, bef- like seen from her before. There is a looseness and kind of lived in quality that like, it was really cool to see her in this mode. And a lot of uh, the other kind of regular, like there were a lot of uh, Kelly Reichardt regulars in this too. Uh, John Magaro doing some like really great work as Lizzie's brother. I also really have to shout out, um, look, there is something, I, I I am just really happy that Andre Benjamin has made it his mission in life to just collaborate with all of Ben Lubin's favorite filmmakers. Between this and High Life, he's, he's, uh, he's making the rounds. Well, well, yeah. He, I mean, I he, he clearly has taste. I was, I was, uh, I was, uh, I was, uh, I, I remember when it got announced, he was in. I was like, that 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 just seems like too much of a coincidence. Like, he, he, like I mean, I know you're an Outcast fan, but it's just like he just like has the same taste in movies as you too. It's just, it's, yeah, it's crazy. Um, uh, and... look, clearly, what this means, I have to find a way to work with work. Uh, put Andre three thousand in a movie in the future. So yeah. he has, like, I think, he has less screen time in this than he does in High Life, if I remember correctly. And it's kind of cool that he like you know does see the value in showing up no pun intended in something like this for you know like what amounts to probably what like seven minutes of screen time or something like that and it's like you know he just like likes kelly yeah. reichardt enough he wants to go be Look, part of it not to, just to think about andre 3000 for a second mm-hmm. this is someone who was in one of the biggest and most successful and artistically loved hip-hop groups in the world mm-hmm. and sort of stepped away just to kind of get away from the pace of that and be able to just kind of focus on doing what he wanted to do whenever he wanted to do it. And I actually think there is something very interesting and sort of meaningful about him being in this movie that is very much about the idea of just making something and making art in a way outside of any other pressures around that. What do you what do you think about the part, point? I another to to steal another point I heard someone talking about earlier. Yeah. You actually never really hear anyone like make a strong comment on whether any of the art in this movie is good or bad and I, I yeah okay and I, I feel like it's it's kind of like a really cool different way to like for her to just be able to like because and i think we already alluded to it a little bit but i think it can't be said enough how much it does actually linger on the making of things in this in a way that like most other movies don't like i mean there's plenty of movies about artists but i don't know if there's that many that like you know actually show like show the process of making the things as like with as much delicacy and as much uh care as as she does here uh the i know i I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the artist that they used a lot of the um uh that they, that they used like a lot of the actual pottery from this one artist that's based in portland and i'm just forgetting her name at the moment i, I feel Emily Carr. uh are you sure oh, wait, never mind i think that's someone that they were originally going to do it on and decided not to uh it, it, it might come to me in a minute but like you know like the even though it's a yeah it's using like this woman's art but like they they sh- they, sh- they show the making of it and the process of it a lot and they really take the time to do that and i, I and i i'm wondering and I, I think that i think thus the fact that they like may, go to great lengths to like not really comment that much though i did laugh out loud like every time that like lizzie walked into one of joe's installations because not that like I, I know enough about art to actually know if what joe's stuff was good or bad but you know enough about lizzie to like think that she probably feels some kind of way about it but no one ever like explicitly says with any authority oh that's really good or that's really bad she's just like this is so not my thing and she probably actually thinks her stuff is like of more value but like you never hear someone say like oh that's a bad job or that that's that's a good thing that's a bad thing heck they even like have a really interesting exchange about when one of her things gets burnt you know yeah i was actually about to bring that up and it's like and they don't even like say that robs it of its value like the uh, andre benjamin's character like actually like 
seems to find value in that in and of itself. And I'm curious what, what, how I'm sure that was intentional on the part of Kelly Reichardt. Is that something you thought about at all? And the fact that like this is a movie about making art that doesn't actually pass judgment really on any of the art in it. Yes. I, so look, as I think it is very natural to have feelings about whether art is good or bad, but I think it's like we, but I think one, what does good or bad mean in the context of art? That's one piece of it. And two, it's not like good versus bad in the context of art. It's like not like there, there is not some platonic ideal of this is good. This is bad. All art exists on the sliding scale between those two things. Where on the sliding scale does it fall? And, and I think it's like it's natural to, as people, look at art through that lens but there is something really refreshing about a movie that doesn't try to engage with the art it focuses on in that way. Art is more than art is good or art is bad, art is. And I think there is something about being able to appreciate the work in this movie just for what it is. That is a very intentional and I think very refreshing choice. Yeah, because I it, 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 you know, it focuses a lot on like just again Lizzie's like day to day and how she gets through life and just to, yeah. like if the movie were to come down on the side of like like if, if they'd had that uh, another one of her colleagues has a friend that comes in from New York that shows up at her show and if they had had like that person like give any kind of indication as to like her not being a fan of what she ultimately saw of uh, of Lizzie's work then it would just kind of feel like the movie would be kind of coming down on the side of like her work not having any value and at that point it might it may as well be saying her life doesn't have a lot of value based or, on or even the other said. way around even though we have that artist as someone who has liked Lizzie's work mm -hmm. it, it it the movie never gives us a reason to kind of for example pro, like think this is better than Joe's they're different and they're doing different things and you can understand why these people have their feelings about the about the other person's art but i don't yeah i think there is something really refreshing and i think very meaningful about the way the movie doesn't give us that certainty yeah no i it's funny this, this is a movie and this kind of goes back to what i was saying about reichardt's films feeling bottomless and sort of kind of the termite art quality of them it rewards you kind of the more you think about it because it's not it's not that you're finding new like puzzles or secrets that you are, you can now decipher. It's just you're you learn, you kind of think more deeply on these textured moments that were already there. And I doubt Kelly Reichardt went into the movie thinking, "Oh, I want to very explicitly avoid uh, any question of whether this is good or bad." That is something I am consciously trying to do. But in the process of making this film and being as artistically honest in the making of this film as she could be that is a very consistent trend that is there and is worth commenting on and worth reflecting on and that to me says more about what i find interesting in making art than a lot of things about we we, we talked around her family a little bit and i'm yeah. curious they the movie is largely set at the they filmed it at what I guess was called like the Oregon College of Art and Craft or something like that, which is like a, a natural school that was around for 112 years and then closed in 2019. I, I found that out today. Mm -hmm. and, but they're able to take it over for the movie and kind of make it its own thing. And um, Lizzie's mom works as one of the administrators there. The Andre 3000 character is kind of like uh, kind of like the kiln master there, but is like out and about doing other stuff around the school as is 
I, I, I mean, Lizzie has some kind of administrative role there where she works there when she's not doing her art. And I mean, it's pretty good. I mean, in some ways, I feel like that setting right there is a, um, it, it just jumps out in a Kelly Reichardt movie because there's just not that many, like, in, in most of her movies, there, there's really not that many locations with that many people in them. Uh, kind of, the, the, I mean, I guess the town in, um, the, the, the town in uh, First Cow, kind of, but I mean, it was interesting that she was able to kind of create a world like there that. There was a sparseness to a lot of her work. Yeah, and yeah, definitely. And so I'm, but at the same time, the the here it's like they 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 really do like it's 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 a quick way for them to really kind of create this community, and you just see them walking through, and uh, the way everyone appreciates everyone else's art. I'm curious, uh, whether it be like kind of both through that and also through her family, where I I think it's implied that uh, her like her mom obviously has some cares somewhat about art though we don't we don't know what kind of artist she might have been but she helps run this school her dad i think was a some kind of ceramics guy and she i think it's probably does really value his opinion on this stuff even as she has some other frustrations with how he's going about living his life as of the time of the movie uh i think it all kind of goes to like the same like these people are all really like interconnected because I, I don't think her parents are together anymore but it's clear that they're still like connected through the community and, it's made very clear that they're not. I think. Yes. Yeah. And, but like, they're still kind of connected through the community and such. They can even, it's not like they're, even if it's very clear, they're not together, they can still kind of coexist when they show up at her show uh, at the same time. And it, it makes everything feel very interconnected. I'm curious uh, what your feelings were as someone that like, I mean, you know, uh, not just as someone that like, you know, is, uh, is, is parts of different kind of created communities in, 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 in your day-to-day -day life, but also as someone that like, you know, uh, appreciates her movies. What did you think about the way in which, in, in, in which they kind of created this like larger world that we've been talking about that like she gave us the chance to kind of get immersed in? Well, I mean, this sort of does go back to, well, there are a couple of things that I think mm -hmm. are worth talking about there. Mm -hmm. One, um, this does go back to something we talked about before, kind of the common depiction of the the artist in solitude. Mm -hmm. I think it's very it's very important to remember that even people who make art themselves don't make art like no other collaborators. It's just them. Mm -hmm. They don't exist in a vacuum. Even the types of creators we think of as islands, for the most part, they're they have communities. Mm -hmm. They are part of a whether it's a personal community a creative community or something it's no it's very normal way more normal than i think most depictions of artists let us see to have your personal creative community be such an incredibly important part of your work i mean i think that for me this is something i have realized more and more about myself as time has gone on and i think it's just something that is pretty broadly true and i think the fact that this this movie lets us see that aspect of kind of creative community, kind of creative coexistence and kind of this almost like the, it's not a co-op, but there is almost this kind of co-op type involvement with each other and kind of mutual support. And also that she doesn't seem like she's like especially has any especially close friends, at least that we see. Uh, really, yeah, no. and, and like there's clearly Unless people. <laughs> yeah and again i again to hold that point i want to go back to the end of the movie and i want i do want to talk about the end of the movie but at the same time like even though like we're not led to believe she has like any particularly like, close affectionate friendships at least that were shown uh you do get that sense that she could like go to someone in the community if she needs something whether it's someone yeah. to like host her art show and let them at least like well, that, the that, fact that, that, that at her art show at the end people show up 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, like more than you would have almost expected, given the way you see her going about her day to day life. And it's like it's it's that it's that like you know like she she can go she can go ask the Andre three thousand character to like help her out with something. Uh, if and knows knows he'll be there for that. That she knows like heck she could probably like she joe would probably do something for her if she asked just not something involving the hot water because uh you know but probably would do something for her involving her art uh or or like other people at the school she she's like again she's friendly with that one person she happens to bump into that's like oh hey i'm gonna bring my friend from new york like like there's like this sense that like hey everyone has this like level of respect for each other even if they don't necessarily have the time to like be in each other's lives as like you know really close intimate friends and i i that was something i certainly kind of felt watching this and kind of and, and appreciated in that like i felt like you know, no, no one in this world is going to necessarily be hostile to her. They're going to be different levels of friendly, but like everyone has like something they could probably offer Lizzie if she, if she did need it and she did come to them. But at the same time, she's only going to spend so much time doing that because she does value her solitude at the same time. Yeah. One, one thing I did want to talk about just about just kind of tangentially really, because you brought mm-hmm. up her father. Mm-hmm. Um, played by Judd Hirsch. Yes. Played by Judd Hirsch. Two, two years in a row, Michelle Williams and uh, Judd Hirsch being in movies together where they're related. but yeah i think one of the things that's very interesting about that character is i think there is some sort of subtle playing with this idea that i think people have of wanting to kind of lean into the idea of what type of person an artist is supposed to be and i think it is sometimes very easy to fall into the trap of being sort of selfish to the people around you um and and i think that's something that we sort of see uh, through the periphery and kind of the way the other members of Lizzie's family kind of deal with him. And especially kind of some of the, the job, like the kind of subtle frustration and jabs that kind of come from his mother. It, we sort of get the portrait of someone who kind of wanted to embody the essence of this kind of great free-spirited artist that he felt like he was supposed to be. And in the process, one kind of buys into his own myth and buys into his own story a little more than he should. And two, is not necessarily considerate of the people around him. And not in a way that, like, the movie wants us to view him as a monster. But I think that is a very real trap and a very real kind of role that a lot of people who want to be in the arts in some capacity let themselves fall into. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I think even kind of the the smaller characters in the movie there is a richness to them and a, a depth to them that kind of merits further reflection um, amongst those smaller characters are you counting the pigeon because i haven't asked you about the, the pigeon the, the, the pigeon is the deuterogamist <laughs> second most important character in the movie maybe the most hmm. um no i actually think it the pigeon was a really interesting device um and i think it as much as we see some real clarity of the type of the type of artist, but the type of person who Lizzie is, when I think there it is significant, then when actually confronted with the messy reality of having to nurture and care for this thing, as much as she may grumble and be frustrated through it, she does it. And I think that actually goes back to something we were talking about before, which is process. Um, and something I actually wanted to bring up. Just because it's been a uh, a subject that has been um, floating around writer circles a lot lately is the subject of AI art hmm. and where I think this movie's depiction of process actually kind of maps onto I think some of the frustrations I have and a lot of creators have with AI art because um, I think this is a movie that depicts process as inseparable from the finished product 
it's not just the thing at the end that is important. It is the steps. It is finding the thing. It is that messy uncertainty of letting the thing happen in a way that you may have to let yourself be surprised by where it goes. Maybe the thing ends up burned. Maybe there is some type of reality that comes from the actual making of it that makes it different from what you thought it was going to be. Or when you and yeah, that, or when you do or, or when you do create something, it's not going to be all linear done in exactly an efficient yeah. amount of time or an an efficient like equal increments of time. Yeah, and I think a lot of, for me, a lot of the defenses of AI art and kind of the e the ease of creation that AI art is supposed to give us. It means you're you end up skipping a lot of parts of the process that I think are fundamentally important. You may get something quicker, you may get something easier, but for me, and this kind of, I feel like you end up with something a little too clean, and you don't. And I I don't know. I I look. I have a, a lot of feelings about AI art that we really don't need to get into now. Um, I'm not well versed enough in it to you to, to in it myself to make you do that at this point. Even though I'm sure I could get you going. Um, though I'm curious, you, you thought more about process because, but when I, when, when I, when I was trying to get you to focus on the pigeon, but I do, in, in some ways think they go hand in hand. And like you're saying, no, you well, know, so, yeah. well, I guess my, my thought was, and you kind of got at it a little bit when you mentioned how like she ends up like kind of embracing it, even if her inclination maybe isn't to, like care for this thing. And I'm wondering, cause I, I thought earlier about, about how the fact that, yeah, I don't, well, th this, what we're doing right now is like the most creative thing I do. I do have a job that can be measured in increments in a certain way, uh, maybe the same way you can measure what you're doing in words or pages or uh, someone like Lizzie can measure in the amount of dolls she creates. There, there are certain jobs in regardless of the field that like, you know, you can actually kind of see your productivity in numbers. For me, it's billable hours. And I, I was kind of thinking about how like, you know, it's not even just like, a, oh, writer's block, I'm going to go distract myself type of thing. But it's like, is there some value in like finding something where you can feel some sense of a, some sense of accomplishment and value? And is that, and if, 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 even if you're not, because in, in, in the moment you're not getting that out of your art for whatever reason, if like whatever distractions in life are keeping you from doing it, it's getting harder to like, feel like, Hey, I've, I've accomplished something with this. Did she kind of like, do you, I, I'm wondering, did she just kind of come to see the pigeon as something where it's like, all right, I'm, I'm doing something that's like worth something here. And that, that in and of itself is making me feel good even if like it, it's keeping me from doing this other thing that I know I need to do. Or, and like, the, and I suppose that's one way you can look at it, but I'm wondering like, did, did you actually like take any other kind of like deeper meaning from the pigeon itself beyond that? Uh, in, in, in addition to like the, the ways in which it made it, it, it kind of juxtaposed her against Joe. So look, I definitely don't think it's like a Kazan. That's not the type of movie this is. I don't mm -hmm. think that, the, it is a symbol that represents X. Right, because I, I, to, to, to Reichardt's credit, like someone was like, it's, it's cool that she chose a pigeon because it's just a yeah. pigeon. And whereas other birds well, might so have evoked something that's else. That's actually one of the things I want to talk about. Yeah, Pigeons are birds we associate as, they're vermin. Mm -hmm. They're trash. They're they're like the, they're the rats of the sky. <laughs> that That's the association a lot of people have with pigeons. Yeah. They're not, they're, there isn't kind of a, a glamour or kind of, of a mystique to like, caring for a pigeon in the same way it's like oh you have a falcon you have kind of like a a, a nicer less common bird mm -hmm. it's a pigeon but there is something in the commonness of it that i think is makes it symbolically significant in the context of the movie i also think look so there is an association people make a lot with kind of creativity and creative spark and birds this thing that takes flight 
It's not, again, it's not a one-to-one, but it's a very common symbol. Um, it's like you you let the bird fly, you let the 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 spark be free. And and I do think again, it's not that Ricard is like, okay, this is symbolically what this represents, and I'm making a one-to-one. There is a one-to-one relationship between this thing this character is doing and what it means. It's not what's happening, not the type of film this is, not the type of filmmaker Ricard is. But I think there is something significant about letting Lizzie be a character who takes the time to care for this thing not because it's like the big drip it's a big dramatic gesture of i am caring for i i want to be the one who cares for this pigeon and it's the show of rescuing the pigeon without having to actually care for it Mm. and again not using this to pass judgment on joe it's less significant that joe doesn't do this and more significant that lizzie does Mm. for me um And I don't know, I think it's, there's also just something even outside, because the movie is more than a movie about artists. It's a movie about people. And even outside of the process of making art, as people, there is a difference between uh, just emotionally wanting to do a thing and actually doing the work involved with doing it. Um, And that's about more than just big kind of goals. It's even about just kind of the way we deal with other people. And again, it's not that Lizzie is good at, is oh is good at every part of this. In many ways, she's very bad at kind of her relation at maintaining relationships with other people, with caring for people in a way that would give her maybe healthier relationships. She's so, a very, she is a flawed character in a way that makes her very human. Well, so I think it's interesting you said that because the, the the last two things I wanted to ask you about before we like f- finished up on any other odds and ends were yeah. one the final show itself, and you already hinted at it earlier. Like a lot of people do show up, so yeah. does it just kind of go to that community aspect we were talking about earlier, or uh, or, or did, is is there is there do you have any other thoughts on that in light of the fact that like you said this is a character we're spending most of the movie with that does have a lot of trouble like relating to others at the same time. So what did you make about how that final show played out? But like, when her brother showed up, and also. I should have known better, but like for me, it was like really tense when they kept showing the pigeon and the bandage and all that. Oh, you you thought that something was going to break? I just thought it was going to get loose and break everything. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I I was like, please don't let, like. And I should have known. I, I, I should have known she. I should have known Kelly Reichardt wouldn't do that, but I was still deathly afraid of it happening. I I had that exact same feeling. Um, <laughs> but thankfully, Kelly Reichardt is as good a filmmaker as we both know she is. Mm-hmm. But no, I think something that is interesting, and this is something that as much as we can talk about the less embraceable, the, the more frustrating pieces of Lizzie's character, something I can relate to, especially, look, as someone who has been living with depression for a very long time, sometimes the way you think about how other people view you is not how other people actually view you. And it can be very easy to dig yourself deeper into a hole where you feel more alone than you actually are. And that's not to say that Lizzie is just fully delusional in every way, but I think especially in watching a movie that is so fully from her perspective, we can understand that she feels more alone than she actually is. And I think the the fact that it's a creative community and people show up for that reason is part of it, but I think more people do care about her than she lets herself realize. And I do think that's part of the significance of the show at the end. So that's one piece of it. And I also... You know, I think it's it, it is important to talk as because we've talked about her relationship with Joe. Mm-hmm. 
I think it is important to talk about the ending a little bit. Because mm-hmm. for all of kind of the, fr- like these kind of this, the frustrating dynamics of their relationship for a lot of the movie, it ends on a moment of genuine friendship. And I think that. In a way you could say first cow ends in a moment of genuine friendship too, but in, in, a, in a much darker way. Uh, uh, yeah. Much darker way. But like, but... It, 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 it's very stark that like none of our other movies really end in a, such a feel good way. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, a couple things like one and kind of my, my original point is that e- even friendships we have with other people, even close friendships, they're necessarily going to be complicated relationships because people are complicated. It's a normal thing to feel jealous of, feel resentful for, be frustrated with friends. You can hate friends at times. You can, you can like, and you can have moments where like, oh God, I, I am so, like, I, I am so angry at this person I call a close friend, someone I care about. You can have moments where you let yourself feel strong, negative emotions you can feel resentful. There can be other dynamics there too, but it doesn't mean a friendship isn't there. And I think that the the movie ending the way it does, I think is just kind of a really refreshingly honest depiction of the way people actually are with each other. So I think that's a pretty significant piece of it. There was something else I was going to to say about that. But... Oh, if you, maybe it'll come to you. Uh, another thing about that at the end there that I, I thought was really interesting. So I, I did listen, I did finish and take, I did take the time to listen to all of Kelly record on Marin today. And uh, one thing that like Mark Marin honed in on the ending with her. And he thought about the fact that like, look, he, he, he thought to a particular time where he had like, had like a stressful, like comedy show where he played a big venue or something like that. And he was like, look, like it didn't even go that great for me. But like a lot of times when I have like some big creative thing I'm working towards, like, the best part about the process is just like kind of relaxing with friends at the end of it and yeah. being able to talk about it with the people that really kind of get what you've gone through and you've already had the kind of the release of all the stress at that point. And you can just like, kind of like you can kind of be in it in a different kind of way. And I'm wondering just was the moment that they shared after the, after the thing, was that something that like, did that resonate with you and like being able to like debrief, I don't know what the right word is or, uh, uh, rehash with like other creatives in like a way that's like uh not as not as stress-free or even lower stakes because of the point at which you're at was that something you could relate to absolutely writing for me mm-hmm. filmmaking like it's it's exhausting mm-hmm. um not just in a literal physical way like i look i as as a uh cis man i can never actually experience what it is to give birth so i'm going to avoid saying that it's literally this but there there's a reason i think people come back to the metaphor of you finish you finish a thing you put it in the world it is giving birth to it mm-hmm. there is a feeling of just exhaustion and you, you feel like you're carrying this thing for an incredibly long time mm-hmm. and again i am not saying the two are the same just before every woman who listens to this podcast uh decides to beat beat the ever-loving shit out of me not the same thing. We, get, we, got you, we got you. We got you. We got you. We got you. Yeah. But there is a feeling of real exhaustion that comes in being able to actually breathe and breathe to people who know what that feel like breathe, breathe in the comfort and the company of people who know what that feeling is. Mm-hmm. It's, I think, an important part of it, um, whether it's good, whether it's bad. I think no matter what, when you finish a script, when you finish a work of art, when you finish a thing, even if you can't wait to move on to the next 
you need to give yourself that moment to just breathe. And and even just kind of mark the ending of this other thing. And and I th- I, th- I think you're right in that the movie depicts that as a important part of the process. The the other thing I, I remember what I was what I was going to mention something we talked about on the first cow podcast. Tell her like my mom and I have a joke that surprising Pedro Almodovar is the best filmmaker depicting female friendships. Kelly Ricard is the best director depicting male friendships. There are surprisingly few movies she's made that really dive into kind of female friendships and kind of even female relationships. Certain Women is really kind of the only one. Wendy and Lucy is it really the the, the real central relationship is Michelle Williams and her dog. Yeah, in certain in in uh in certain women's like it's it's not really about female friendship at all. Like I mean, no, the... I mean, that's just kind of the closest we get. Yeah, I would still even say the one female relationship we see is more defined by the gap between them mm-hmm. than it is this real connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shout shout out Lily Gladstone. Uh, the main reason I'm looking forward to Scorsese's next movie, but. Yeah, this is the first movie where she's really given this much space to female friendships. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it, it, it was just very cool to see her do that and do it so well. Yeah, should also say that she, uh, this is most of her movies, like since since Wendy and Lucy, she's collaborated on with Jonathan Raymond, who's like a novelist, but like became a screenwriter and working with her. And like, so, I, you know, she, a lot of this, I think, I think, this one I think is a, this is an original story, but she wrote it with him, I believe, and yeah. uh, and but like you know, so a lot of a lot of that's her going off of his stuff, but like she obviously does a great job of you know adapting it and and whatnot. But like here, it's you know like it it certainly is different and shows that like she has that she can she can go there with her storytelling if she wants to. And I think that's just like a kind of a good point to note in that like she did she, she did something else that she hadn't done before. You know, well, in, in addition- on that note, something I actually really wanted to make sure we talked about. Uh, Kelly Ray Cart tends to work with a lot of the same people and obviously all of her collaborators are incredible and she has a, a really good enough creative relationship with all of them to make something meaningful but I really wanted to talk about uh, uh, Christopher Blobel I'm not pronouncing his name right um, the, the cinematographer oh okay yeah um, a lot of her recent films especially there, there's nothing showy about them, but and this goes back to kind of the the termite art argument. There is just such a texture and presence, even to kind of these small character based moments. That yeah, I just think a lot about this argument people have about what films are meant to be on the big screen versus what films you are you can you can watch on Netflix. It, it, and there's this idea people have that it's like, oh, it's blockbusters you need to see on the big screen and kind of small character-based stuff. It's fine if you see them on the small screen. And Kelly Reichardt's films, to me, are some of the best examples of why that is so far from the truth. In watching her movies on a big screen, you really sit with the texture of them. You feel kind of the, the presence and the depth and kind of almost the breath of this world on screen. And I think, again, just the uh, the really beautiful textures of, of the look of it, that's a big part of why. Again, it's not the type of movie that you're going to say obviously has just incredible cinematography, 
it's one of those movies where when you sit with it and you realize how in special and just kind of warm and inviting the look is, even if it's unassuming, it's just really beautiful. Um, I, I had a, an argument a while back with someone um, who was a cinematographer. And I mentioned that my favorite uh, American like non-silent film is a movie called Five Easy Pieces, which is a very kind of quiet character study starring Jack Nicholson, kind of this early new Hollywood film. And kind of that cinematographer said, oh, you're like, really? That's that's your favorite? But it's it's just, in, as someone who wants to make movies, I'm really surprised because that's that movie is so unambitious. Hmm. And it, it's like there was this idea that, you know, as someone who wants to direct, as someone who loves film, you're supposed to prefer movies that are kind of more ostentatious in their style, ostentatious in their use of the form. But it's something we've talked about in with a lot of kind of more quiet humanist films on here and something I really strongly feel. There is a beauty to making the right simple choices. Sometimes you just have to get out of your own way and let the warmth of a moment, let the textures of a moment seep through. And Five Easy Pieces is a movie that does that incredibly well. Mia Hansen Loves films do that incredibly well. And Kelly Reichardt's films do that better than almost anyone else. And I think this is a movie that, as I keep coming back to, it's just worth sitting with and just let letting wash over you and letting yourself reflect on more and more as you watch it and as you think about it after you leave the theater. Yeah, well, uh, I think one thing I failed to convey when I was trying to talk a little bit about the school they shot it at, I particularly enjoyed the way he moved the camera through the school. It just, it, yeah. I, it was just, it was kind of cool. And if it very efficiently made me feel like I kind of knew what that place felt like. And uh, yeah, I got Christopher Blavelt, if I might, I probably butchered his name too. Very cool CV, as I uh, just like looking at it. So he shot all of her movies since Meek's cut off. Uh, but like at the same time, like he also like did like, I don't know, a bling ring and mid nineties and Emma, like he just, uh, hopped around in beginners. Uh, so just like he's hopped around a lot of different things. And I, um, but it seems like he's like, you know, he is, he is, like you said, he's, he's in her, uh, he's in her crew at this point. And, uh, yeah, be I'm very very no no that another thing another interesting thing to uh, note uh, is she did say in that uh, Mark Maron interview that like she's trying to make up for lost time when she, in reference to like how she had twelve years between her, basically her uh, her her first movie and her second movie uh, so like hopefully we'll get to start seeing maybe we'll get to see another maybe we'll be doing another one of these in less than three years uh, which would be really cool here's open um, uh, any anything else about uh, about uh, showing up Ben that we didn't already touch on that you wanted to highlight before we wrapped up. No, I mean, I think we talked about it a lot. It's it, it just is for me a really special film. It it's it gets better the more you think about it, and it's the type of movie that even if you don't think the subject matter is going to be something you're really excited about, it's it's worth giving a chance to regardless. Um, yeah, I don't think our, I friend, our friend Arjun and I have joked that like. Maybe like before the movie came out, maybe there will finally be a good movie about like modern gallery artists. Um, after uh, Velvet Buzzsaw and The Square weren't quite what 
some were hoping they were. <laughs> and I think we finally got it. Well, I well, I'm interesting you said that because I don't think I made it clear enough that I really don't give a shit about this kind of art generally in my day to day life. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's just not something that like I can really like I I, I I it's not the kind of thing I can really take much from, and not the thing I not not the kind of thing I ever really have the time to do uh, or think about that much and analyze. I, I spend most of my free time doing this, um, but like so me as someone that feels like that like as as someone that generally just doesn't really like have a lot of time for that particular kind of art. Uh, still really enjoyed this movie uh so you know i guess i think that should tell you just like if you know anyone that has, has a creative bone in their body uh i think it's, it's it's worth like showing this to them to see what they think uh yeah, yeah i don't I, I i don't really have much else to add myself uh so yeah uh everyone support kelly reichardt I, I honestly ben i'm gonna actually i might start i'm gonna start editing this tonight but i i might just hold it till it's streaming if like because it, it might just be out of theater so i'd, I'd rather so it, it come out when people have the opportunity to just like like shove, force it upon people once it's on VOD. Uh, but we'll, we'll see how my release schedule goes. But sure. you know, there's a good chance by the time you're listening to this, you can rent this movie for six ninety nine somewhere. And at that point, like, highly recommend you uh, that that you recommend it to to anyone in your life that you think might enjoy this kind of thing. Uh, ben, a- anything else you would like to give a shout out to plug wise before we wrap up? If you saw showing up and you like showing up, highly recommend watching another movie called A Bread Factory that came out. Uh, about four or five years ago at this point um it is a a very special movie um disclosure i know a fair amount of people who worked on it but it is a movie that very that very similar to showing up deals with kind of the reality of people who make art in a very in kind of a more small town setting outside of the pressures of what that art is supposed to be on a larger scale very special movie um highly recommend checking it out uh the other plug i said this is my favorite movie of the year my second favorite movie of the year is a movie that has also sort of slipped through the cracks for a lot of people called Ennis Men, um, which is a British folk horror movie uh, from a director named Mark Jankin. It's the type of like totally unique movie that like only could have come from this one person that I am always going to be down to support. Uh, best way to describe it would be a very kind of disjointed and kind of unsettling take on a British folk horror movie like The Wicker Man, the original Wicker Man, not the Hmm. Nick Cage one. Very cool movie. Uh, Hopefully builds more of an audience towards a lot of kind of like list season at the end end of the year. Very cool movie, Slip the Cracks. Highly recommend checking it out. Here's the big plug. Um, If you are following, if if you are following film in any capacity, you are hopefully aware that the Writers Guild of America is currently on strike. Um, I don't know when exactly this podcast is coming out, but I'm going to assume the strike will probably still be going on. I'm also going to assume you're probably going to be reading a lot of misinformation about it, uh, because there is a whole lot of misinformation floating around in the the trades primarily. Uh, But as someone who just today uh, was walking on the picket line and has been following the development of the strike for a very long time. Just know that this is uh, something that is incredibly worth supporting. And if you care about not just film, not just TV, but the people who actually make those works of art that you consume and hopefully care about, it is worth supporting the the strike in whatever capacity you're able to, whether it's spreading the word it's uh, supporting any boycotts that may or may not pop up, pop up in the future. 
whether it's donating to strike funds, both for uh, writers and support staff who are out of work, and uh, even crew members who are not able to work because uh, their shows have been shut down, which the strike funds are also meant to support. It's also possible that other unions may end up striking later this year. But just know that, especially if you've been reading a lot of misinformation about how the writers are being prima donnas and are being overpaid already, um, there is a tremendous amount of misinformation on that. And the actual working reality of being a writer or even aspiring writer in the industry right now is more existentially terrifying than it has been in almost any other point in the history of the industry. And uh, there are a lot of very specific things that the strikers are asking for. And those that are not that are not unreasonable. No, and those things are not unreasonable and they are incredibly important, more important than we kind of you even realize at first glance. So I just highly recommend reading more about the strike and supporting it in whatever uh, capacity you're able to. Yeah, if you, if 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 there's any strike funds that you that you know of off the top of your head, and you send one to me, I'll put it in the show notes, provided that the uh, the strike is still going on when we post this. Because uh, okay. I yeah, I, I'll I I'll send it to you later. I don't have it listed off the top. Of yeah, head. that's fine. Like again, it's it'll, it might it might be a little bit before you before, before I post it, but unfortunately or fortunately, depending on you know how you look at it, like this as as long as there's the same kind of solidarity there has been, there's a good chance that this will still be going on by the time I post the podcast but i i i second everything bet said i and you know and i think i think one of the thing to note is that like it's not just it's well yes the most important thing is to compensate the writers fairly for their work but i think as ben said like if you care about like you know just like consuming like the consuming movies and television it's an important thing to support not just because they should be fairly compensated but because if these like demands are met i think it could result in better content being made down the road if like people yeah. are better able to support themselves and it, it, so no, this is about not just th this is about creating an ecosystem where people mm -hmm. who want to make interesting and meaningful uh film and tv are actually able to do that it's about mm -hmm. creating a, a broader ecosystem not just for now but for the future as a whole so yeah definitely um one, one the only thing i'd recommend right now that i've been watching recently that i actually would strongly recommend uh is I've I'm I'm halfway through the six episode season of Dead Ringers on Amazon. It's the the new show starring Rachel Weisz that's adapted from a David Cronenberg movie from I believe the late '80s, where Rachel Weisz plays identical twins and who uh who are uh, OBGYNs and they start their own birthing center and uh, it's way crazier than that makes it sound. But like you know, it's not often that like and I'm still not sure how I feel about it because David Cronenberg and maybe that that kind of stuff isn't always necessarily my bag. But like, it's not always that I like actually recommend something to someone like just because of a performance. And I actually think Rachel Weisz's performance is pretty great. Going into, it, I was like, oh, they're just gonna like style or dress one or do the makeup or hair on one different, just so you can like easily tell which one is which. And yeah, they kind of do. But at the same time, she like very clearly like creates two very distinct people that you, you they, they wouldn't have even need to have done all that. It's like it's like that good of a dual performance in a way that like you know sometimes might feel gimmicky if you hear oh this person's playing twins. It's, it's not it's 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 actually that good of a performance and it's it's really fun to watch so as long as you you don't you might not be like grossed out by some blood um or some birthing scenes like i it's i think you're gonna get something out of it if if you especially if you tend to like the david cronenberg type things so uh that's what i would say about that ben you plug the strike did you do you want to plug anything social media wise uh or anything personally um yeah i mean look i'm on letterboxd under ben lubin i i po i update it occasionally um, Honestly, that's all I do the, now these days too, because it's just a matter of uh, me not having time to. But as usual, I'm Josh Chernovoy, J O S H J U R N O V O Y myself. 
So, um, yeah, so I, 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 you know, who knows, uh, Ben will probably be back at some point in the next couple months and maybe he, maybe he will or not have updated his letterbox by then. Good chance I haven't either. I'm trying to do a better job. I don't always do so hot. Uh, but the podcast Twitter is at real movie pod and my Twitter is at Josh Jernavoy also J O S H J U R N O V O Y again. So maybe you get more thoughts from there in the meantime, but it's not just keep checking in here coming up next. We'll. I don't know what, what we'll have because, again, I might just hold this episode for a bit. So I'm not going to plug anything next, but rest assured, like there's still plenty of content out there, even the writer strike and all. So we'll, I'm sure we'll have something next week. So I want to thank Ben for joining me and being so generous with his time and giving us such valuable insights into this particular movie. Again, support Kelly Record movies, and uh, we'll see you next time.